We've been exploring what it means to see God's face, to gaze upon His beauty, to dwell in His presence, and to know Him intimately and personally. Isaiah, we discovered in chapter 6, saw the presence of the Lord. He saw Jesus Christ seated upon the throne. And he said, Woe is me, I am undone. He was changed. And in order for us to change and experience awe in the presence of God, most of the time, there's some things that need to be undone in us. Some patterns of thinking, some behaviors, some attitudes, some understanding. And as we come to this passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 40, we discover that it has many different dimensions and facets. It is something prophetic that was going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in the ministry of of John the Baptist. But it also is incredibly personal in what God and through His Holy Spirit and through His Word wants to do in your life and in my life. So let's explore this together. And I confess to you, I ended up writing a really, really, really long sermon, so I will, you know, cut it off at some point. And so if it just seems like a strange place to end, that's because I actually did pay attention to the clock. Be thankful. It doesn't happen very often, but every now and then, I'm in. <coughs> Isaiah, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So you get the picture? You see what the image that he's trying to, to, um, to paint for us is, is a road work that's going to bring the very presence of God right up front to the person. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground become level and the rough places a plain. Here's the promise. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So what he's, what he's telling us is that there is some preparation that has to happen in order for us to experience the glory of the Lord. Now prophetically, this was the work of John the Baptist who was coming into um, the midst of the Jewish religion that had gotten caught up in a great deal of legalism and had lost their heart for God. And so he preaches a gospel of repentance. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. He's preparing the way for them to understand that God himself is coming to earth to be their salvation. And they needed to stop relying on their rituals and the rules and rely on God. Because the purpose of the rituals and the rules in the first place were always to point us to who God is so that we can live in a relationship with Him, we can honor Him and obey Him and bring glory and honor to His name. So there had to be some preparation for Jesus coming. But for you and I to experience the presence of the Lord, there has to be preparation as well. The first and most important aspect of that is there needs to be a point in time in your life and my life where we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. He is the only way to God. The only connecting. Because it is God coming to us. God dying in your place, in my place, because of the sin that separates us from God. And so that's the beginning. 
But it's not the only step in the journey. Without that, we'll never see God. But there's some things he gives us here in this instruction that helps us understand how we grow as a follower of Jesus Christ and what needs to happen. So what it begins with is paving the way for God's presence so that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. This is exactly what happened on earth in the scriptures. In fact, this passage in Isaiah is quoted in John chapter 1. Let me read to you here in John chapter 1, verse 19, about the ministry of John the Baptist. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Anointed One. I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to them, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. That was his work in his ministry, to prepare for the coming Messiah. If we want to see the Lord, our hearts need some preparation work. They need some spiritual road work done. So what I want you to picture is maybe think of the last time you were really stuck in traffic um, because of road work. Maybe you're out on the D1 because it always is up in road work. So anytime pretty much that you've been up and down the D1, this would apply. Um, and you see you know, those bulldozers on the side of the road and then the paving machines and all that kind of stuff. It's that kind of construction. It's radical. It's the use of heavy equipment, but on a spiritual scale. That's what's going to happen. And he says that, he tells us that the surface of every believer's heart must be prepared for the Lord. So some things, some things need to be built up, and some things need to be torn down. He says, every valley will be filled, and every mountain will be brought low. And I want, to, I want you to grab a hold of that because that theme penetrates the rest of this chapter in Isaiah chapter 40. That there's some things in you and me that need to be strengthened and built up in order for us to experience the presence of God. And there's also some things that need to be bulldozed out of the way. That need to be undone in your mind. The first part here is the valleys being lifted up and, and I believe on a spiritual aspect, what he's talking about is filling up the craters of insecurity in your life and in my life. Because oftentimes what limits our faith and limits our view of God is guilt, insecurity, feeling unworthy. And, and the truth is, yes, we are unworthy. There's nothing we did to earn God's favor. He did it for us. But we need to understand what he freely offers to every believer. It is a transformed identity. You are far more than you can imagine because of what Jesus Christ has done for you if you have trusted him as your Savior and your Lord. Far more. And the way to begin to build your heart and your life so that you can experience the presence of God is to learn what the scripture says about you in Christ. You and I have been given an incredible inheritance. And when we adopt that inheritance as our true identity given to us because of Jesus, 
It changes us. So I want to give you some verses and just some statements and allow them to sink into your heart and say, that's true. That's true of me. Not because I'm so amazing, but because Jesus Christ is. I want you to listen to some of these statements that come from the Scripture. Since I am in Christ, by the grace of God, I have been justified, completely forgiven, and made righteous. Romans 5, verse 1. Do you believe that? Okay. What I think is you think that. You think that is the right answer I'm supposed to give, but chances are it hasn't gotten from here to here, and it's certainly not applying itself out here in what we do. But grab a hold. You are forgiven in Christ. How much? How much has He forgiven you? What did it, what did it say? Look, he's forgiven me a little bit. He's kind of forgiven me you know, quite, a, quite a bit. Thank you. Thank you. All of it. Completely forgiven. That's why the scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Also, it says, I died with Christ. I died to the power of sin's rule over my life. In Romans 6, verses 1 through 6. I am free from ever from condemnation. The verse that I just quoted. <clears throat> I have been placed into Christ by God's doing. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. I have received the Spirit of God into my life that I might know the things freely given to me by God. This promise is incredibly Important. We have been given the mind of Christ according to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. Chances are, if you're like me, you struggle in your thought life. I tend to just find all these little mud puddles for my thoughts to go into, and I spend my time there um, going over and over um, things in my life, either thoughts about myself or thoughts about others or feelings of failure, insecurity, all these different things, and it's just like being there in the puddle of mud. But I need to remember He gave me His mind. And so He can enable me to think on those things which are pure, which are honorable, which are a good report. When I understand what I've been given and say, Lord, that's how I want to live. I want to live like who you died for me to be. We are transformed. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. I belong to God. If you want a motivation to help you deal with um, areas of your life where you are failing, whether it's a, a sin area in your life or some other type of struggle that you have, you need to remember that God owns us. Now that means we're responsible to Him, but also that means He's taken us and said, I wanted you. I wanted you enough that I would pay the ultimate price to purchase you to be mine. That's how much he loves us. How incredible that is. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God in Christ. I've been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge guaranteeing <coughs> our inheritance to come. I want to encourage you to look for the truths about who we are in Christ and allow that to transform how we live. Now I've got some of those written down. If, if, if you want, uh, want some of them, there's a, here's a partial list. 
and you can just pick one of these up after after church. Or I put them in the newsletter as a link where you can download the document. Or if you want more, because there are hundreds of promises in the scripture that show us who we are in Christ. But we need to know them, meditate on them, and then ask the Holy Spirit to help us live them. That enables us to be built up. That's the valleys being lifted up so that the presence of God, the truth of His Word, can penetrate our hearts and minds and we can see His glory. That's the good stuff. Now the bad stuff. Okay? Hang in there because the bulldozer is on its way. Okay? Now but remember, before we get to the bulldozer, let me give you one more from the inheritance that we have. I have been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God by which I am a partaker of God's divine nature. He says, I'm making you like me. And the great promise of Jesus is, he says that he who began a good work in you, which is Jesus Christ, he will bring it to completion. He's going to finish you and I to make us more like him. But to do that, he not only needs to lift us up so that we understand our identity, there's some things that need to be bulldozed down. And that's leveling our mountains of pride. I have discovered that I have three distinct peaks that block my view of God. And I'm going to call them three different mountains that I face. And I'm pretty sure that most of you face the same mountains. Maybe there's more. Maybe, maybe for some of you it's, it's a little less than these three, but these are pretty common. Number one is mount control. I want to be in control. I want to determine my own destiny. I want to, in fact, not only that, I want to determine how things are done in my life. How many of you wrestle with control? That maybe, yeah, you didn't have to raise your hands on this one because it's, these things are self-evident. Okay? <laughs> we all pretty much wrestle with control. So that's one mountain. Mountain number two. It may be the highest peak. It's Mount Judgment. In fact, I usually refer to it as Mount Saint Judgment. Because from there, I can see all of you. I can look down upon you and see all the ways that you are failing because there, high lifted up upon Mount Judgment, I see all your mistakes. Ooh, yeah. If you're only like me. Yeah. How crazy is that? And yet, how much of a reality is it that we tend to judge one another? And then there's Mount Me. Or maybe it's Mount Ego. In my case, it's Mount Drew. It's everything's about me. You know, I want to impress people. I want people to be pleased with me. I want them to admire me. I'm sure none of you ever have these problems. But I've discovered that these are mountains in my life that God needs to bulldoze over because they're blocking my view of his glory. But they're not only mountains. They're volcanoes. Because after they've been bulldozed down, back up. After they've been bulldozed once, they have a tendency to come back up, and every now and then they erupt in my life. And so it's like, Lord, I need to keep coming back and say, What would you undo? 
So there's these mountains that are there. And what we need to understand is how they come against the truth of God's word. Just a couple chapters later, God gives us this reminder in Isaiah 45. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God. He who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. The problem with my mountains, Mount Control, Mount Judgment, and Mount Me, is every one of them is an attempt by my sin to take God's place. That's why they have to come down. They will not only block my view of God and my experience of God's presence, they will block yours as well. And they must be destroyed. We need to remember that we are not God. We are not the ones who are in control, and we're not supposed to be. We are not judges. That's why he tells us to judge not lest we be judged. And we need to remember that all honor and praise and credit is due to God. So we wrestle with these things. Now, in Isaiah 45, it's set in the midst of idolatry. In fact, later on in Isaiah 40, he's making this question, you know, who do you compare God to? Do you compare him to, to an idol? And he asks this question, do you not know? The song that we sang, This I Know, is the answer to Isaiah 40. That's why the first verse says, who has um, scooped up the oceans in his hands? It's a quote from verse 12 in Isaiah. And the answer to that question, who is God, is this I know, he is God. Jesus Christ is God, and he is a great and mighty God, and there is no other. He is the one that we worship. Therefore, we need to recognize that whereas today maybe our idolatry is a little more subtle, in, in the days of the scripture, the idols were characterized, we saw them most prominently, as literally physical idols. Perhaps the reason why we see fewer physical idols is because we have so many mirrors already is we're already looking at the biggest I goal, which is me. The worship of self. And so our control and our judgment and our pride needs to be moved away. I asked about control. Let me give you some questions that may not be very comfortable. <coughs> Do you get frustrated when people don't ask for your opinion? Or worse yet, when they ignore it. Does it bother you when things don't go your way? Do you have trouble asking for help? Do you get impatient when people don't do things the right way? Which of course is my way. Do you try to change other people? Do you look for approval or thanks from others? Do you spend a great deal of energy trying to keep other people happy and reject those who mistreat you? How often do you hold a grudge against another person? Are you distrusting of other believers? 
Remember, if God saved them, he fully intends to use them for his kingdom and glory, and he does not need us to tell him or them how that should be done. Do we expect other people to meet our standards of measure? Or do we truly desire for them to know who they are in Christ and allow God to do the work in them and through them according to their gifts and their personality and who God made them to be? See, those kind of questions probe our heart and reveal this is an area that needs to be undone. Pride keeps me from worshiping God. When I seek control, I need to remember that only God is in control. He is completely independent and needs no help from anyone. Only God has the right to judge, to determine standards. He is the only one who has the right for perspective, who has all the information, and who understands. Only God deserves all things. <coughs> all worship, and the applause of all that he has created. So these are areas that we need to continually surrender. The promise of the scripture, though, is this. This comes back to this balance that we have in this passage. That if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. And, and if you think about road construction, what happens is you take the dirt that you are of the hills that you are pushing down and you use that to fill in the low spots that need to be lifted up. And that's exactly what God does with us. Is as we humble ourselves before Him, He takes our pride and pushes it out of the way and then He fills us in with our new identity of who we are in Christ Jesus. But to experience that, we have to be willing to humble ourselves and be undone. I found this writing by a man by the name of Blake Williams, and I inserted a few of my own thoughts into the midst of it, but the vast majority of it is his words. And I want to read it to you and see if it resonates in your own heart. I don't really worship these days. I don't really stand up to praise you with songs or prayers or actions or really with anything. Though I'm full of all the right moods, all the right words, all the right religion, but it's just an illusion. In truth, I am really lonely, lost, calloused, judgmental, controlling, jaded, cynical, often too religious, too realistic, realistic. Well, Really, I'm just too lazy to worship you anymore. For I have lost my first love. I have lost the joy of your presence. But most of all, I have lost the fear of your glory. Father, I need to see you again. Like Isaiah, I want to stand in awe of your glory. To fall down at your feet. To come face to face with your perfection with your radiance, with your goodness, with your holiness, with your awesomeness. I want to stand before you 
and see you for who you really are. And see myself for who I am. I want to be undone. I want to know me for who I really am. I want to see the depths of my heart. And know that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. I want to see me and understand what it really must have taken for you to love me, for you to care for me, for you to see me, to speak to me, to want me, to give your word to communicate with me, to die for me. Lord, I want to stand in that place where all I can see is your greatness. Because in that place, I can't help but worship you. So Lord, let me come undone. Undo my heart. Break down the walls that I love so much. No, wait, don't. Because I'm scared. I don't know if I can handle this. Don't. But I can't live this way anymore. I can't stand here in a half-life this going through the motions, this not really alive life. Father, I need you, so come in and do what you must. Cut out the tumor of my heart. Break down the walls that I love to build. Lord, come and undo me. Undo my heart so I can worship you. Absolute control. 
He is God. He is holy. He is to be feared. But the other arm is the arm of a loving shepherd who reaches around and draws us to himself. We need both arms if we are to truly have a relationship with God. We need to both be in awe of who he is and in deep love with what he has done. Here's the thing. This picture is God reaching out to you and me saying, I long to embrace you. I want to hug you. But guess what? You can't do a half hug and it work. Alright? I mean, some of us come from cultures where physical contact is, is not that welcome. And then we have folks who come from very expressive um, cultures, you know, Italians, maybe, you know, where you, everything is big. He's saying, this is a big hug. And, and you can't have a hug without both arms. He wants to wrap them around you. And say, this is who I am and who I want to be in your life. I want you to rest in the strength of my arm of control, my authority. And I want you to find peace in the arms of a shepherd who cares for every need, who has already gone before you, who is looking out for the very things that you need and you desire before you even ask for them. That's the picture that we have here. Isaiah shows us both of these arms, the arm of the sovereign Lord and the arm of a loving shepherd. It's a picture of who God is to be for us. Ezekiel chapter 34 says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. We see in that verse his two arms as well. His arms of authority as the one who has the right to judge and his arms of compassion. And isn't this what we see demonstrated in Jesus Christ? Jesus stands against false belief and and the, the very rules that are driving people away from God. And at the same time, he welcomes those who are humble, even though they're what the world would classify or the religious leaders of the day would classify as terrible sinners. We see this contrast. He's eating with prostitutes and tax collectors and he's speaking the truth to those who are keeping people away from God. He has the right to judge, but he has the compassion to draw us from us. That is the God that we serve. He is the one who loves us. What we see is the fulfillment of what Uh, John chapter 1 tells us about Jesus Christ. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, authority and love. He wants to embrace us. So let's let's read verse 12. And we're going to end with that. Think about the authority, the sovereignty of God. Who has measured the waters 
in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure or basket in a sense, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Now, I want you to take a look at your hand for just a second and see the picture, the image that Isaiah is, is painting. So cup your hand like this, and what he's saying is that all of the oceans, God holds within that little cup of his hand. Now to help you understand what he's saying, and obviously it's not literal, it's a figurative thing, but we need to see he's trying to express the magnitude of God. So how much is he holding in the cup of his hand? Well, 
Would you take away the blinders that keep us so focused on ourselves to allow us to see what you are doing in this world? In our relationships, in our families, in our workplace, in our own life. Show us yourself, Lord. We want to see you. Lord, for some that are here today, they've never trusted you. And right now, you are calling their name. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would whisper into their heart and ear. And you would give them the courage to simply say, Lord, I want to trust you. And to simply say in their hearts, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are God. I believe that you are the Savior. I believe that you died for me and rose again to prove your victory. I'm going to trust you today. Or would you give them the courage to take that step right now? And not let another day, another hour, or moment go by without trusting you. For others, Lord, they're discouraged, they're broken. Or would you build up their identity in Christ? Would you help them to see themselves the way that you see them? Lord, for all of us, would you reveal the things that the mountains that are presented in our life that need to be lowered so that you may do your work and your will both in us individually, in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in the workplace, and in this church. Lord, we ask you to have your way in us. Jesus, Jesus.